I'm back with a very interesting conversation with Dr. Grace Ting from Hong Kong University. And we are exploring racism from a transnational perspective and even looking at uh, racism within our own Asian communities. And we were just before the break talking about, you know, hierarchies and, and white male privilege in the, you know, academic setting. Um, particularly in Asian studies. So I don't know, Grace, if you have to add to my venting. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think it's it's been a real problem. Uh, but, you know, first I would say, um, of course, like white scholars can work on Asia, like they can do really amazing research on Asia. So I'm actually very indebted to um, a lot of white scholars like from the US and like other places who have done work in Japanese studies or um, in other parts of Asian studies. But I think there is this tendency right now to think that uh, like we're done with racism <laughs> or, or we're done with like sexism or whatever else. Really? Uh, so <laughs> within, within certain parts of academia. And um, I guess what I have to say about that is that uh, as someone who's who's East Asian, who's a Taiwanese American um, and whatever else, um, I would not say like in the, in the sort of hierarchy in academia that I'm anywhere near the top, right? But at the same time, I'm constantly thinking about my privilege and trying to make sure that I don't enact harm in some way, right? So especially like, I'm just a person. And so I get annoyed at people. Like I, I get annoyed, for example, when junior scholars, like when graduate students or like, um, when other people like talk to me and are kind of um, sometimes are self-entitled or rude or something like that, but I'm always thinking about uh, trying to be self-aware about my privilege, about how I might be um, sort of like performing something that's related to my own internalized like misogyny or racism. And so that's what I want people to really think about. So like white liberal scholars like need to think about this. They need to understand that they're capable of violence in some way, that violence is something that it's not just like physical violence, like when you get hit over the head with something, um, but there are many types of it, right? Um, and, and yeah, I think this is, I have a particular grudge against white male scholars in my field because there is this sort of long history of how, you know, I, I think, people, maybe some of them assume that like they don't have to think about racism towards Asians because, you know, if they're in Asia, like they're surrounded by Asians, how could there be racism against Asians or something like that? But, but I just remembered, you know, I would get comments like I was, I was out with someone once for dinner and I said, oh, you know, I've experienced some, I think I've experienced some racism and sexism like in our field and it makes me upset. And, uh, you know, he turned it to a story about how he had suffered. Oh, he said, oh. as, a, as a white man in Japan, I've never been that popular with Japanese women. I've never had tons of them chasing after me, right? But the implication here is that he, that is that, uh, he should have been entitled to this, that just because he was a white man in Japan and he understood how this worked for many white men, that there should have just been Asian women just, you know, um, just chasing after him all the time. Oh my God. Uh, but so that's why a lot of white men go to Asia 
to seek Asian women because they feel a little more masculine, maybe, you know, they feel like there are all these women who will be doing anything for them. There's that kind of a little bit of that, you know, myth going on, or maybe perhaps. Right. And I think there is that. And then there's also this, um, this sort of like oriental, this way of thinking about Asia still. So yeah. I see this, for example, so this isn't um, necessarily tied um, it isn't, I think it's indirectly tied, not always directly tied to like physical desire for Asian women, but the way that some white scholars talk about the part of Asia that they research, uh, it's kind of like they're talking about how to conquer it, right? How to make it theirs. And so the way that um, some people like to fetishize Chinese characters as something like really mystical or like so special, like look at how many characters I'm able to write. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh. Where, where it definitely comes out in a sort of way towards me, like as an Asian American, where they're saying like, look at me, like I'm white, but I'm better at being Asian than you are. Like I have more of a mastery of this culture. And that I think is something that is, you know, sexualized to some extent, like this yeah. desire to sort of um, bolster like their white masculinity by like conquering like some part of Asian culture. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you said that. But how does this kind of feed into your queer and feminist studies? Like, because um, it's really interesting. I also wanted to ask you about in Asia, you know, I think, please correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, queerness is still a stigma, right? And it's something that almost has a negative connotation. And how do you, how do you work these studies in to your students in Hong Kong and how do you how do you approach it in a way that makes sense to open up and want to engage in this topic and understanding kind of the the nuances within the studies you know yeah um so first of all I'm really frank in front of my students too so I definitely say things about you know white male privilege or white supremacy, whatever else in front of them. I just think it's important to to be real about these things. But in general, I just I really feel for my students here in a way that you know maybe I I didn't have the capacity to feel when I was teaching in the U.S. So in the U.S. I was largely um, teaching at liberal arts colleges where most of the students were like white, like middle class or upper class. And so, um, and I think many of them also had a sort of consumer mentality, which, you know, was, was something that was difficult for me to deal with. And here, um, you know, because teaching these gender studies classes, I actually have them write uh, fairly personal assignments sometimes, you know, not as something like fluffy for them to like do for fun, but as a sort of real way of like thinking through concepts of gender and sexuality and whatever else, like, in relation to themselves. And so I learned about, I learned a lot about them, you know, starting like the first month that I'm teaching because I'm reading their papers. Mm. And um, so I think, I do think compared to, you know, at least some parts of the US where I was living or working that uh, queer kids, like queer students in Hong Kong have a really, really hard time. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, and so my sort of way of negotiating this is, you know, I'm always sort of thinking about who's in the classroom. So how to sort of speak to the queer students who um, are afraid of coming out, who, uh, you know, just sense every day how Hong Kong is sort of hostile in a certain way towards 
um, towards like the sort of difference that they bring, yeah. uh, but also sort of thinking about students who like are not uh, Han Chinese, for example, like, so when I'm teaching gender and sexuality, uh, how do I also teach um, about like racism and xenophobia at the same time? Like, how do I produce a sort of atmosphere where it's very clear that this is not like the sort of class where we're somehow going to like talk about in an isolated way, like, oh, sexism is bad, homophobia is bad, but there's going to be this very clear message like all the time that actually like xenophobia against mainland Chinese students is not okay. Like racism and xenophobia against like South Asian and Southeast Asian students are not okay. So um, yeah, I, I kind of our idea of this whole colorism within the Asian culture that you're breaking down within kind of the gender and sexuality studies, which is really interesting because it is, you know, the the different Asian cultures are so sexualized depending on where they're what, what region, right? And where does that come from? Like, do do people think about that? You know, it here it's all lumped into one. You're Asian or Asian American, and so okay, we can um, connect it and 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 refer to films that have maybe kind of exploited or uh, misrepresented Asians through over hypersexualized uh, or evil kind of roles, but. Yeah. Hong Kong, you're breaking it down more into just the nuances between the different types of Asian, like you said, Han. And, and for people who don't understand what we're talking about Han, we're talking about like Chinese as in, I don't know, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more clearly because maybe people here in Hawaii don't really understand that. It's, um, <laughs> I'm talking about this sort of ethnic or racial majority like in China. So the sort of dominant one, but I think it would actually require a very long explanation to sort of it's a very this. interesting aspect that you're bringing into it that we don't have the capacity to see here is that Han privilege as a part of the racism and, and, and going along with the talking about, you know, being anti-queer or anti-certain regions. It's, it's all kind of part of that based on a very kind of um, Han-centric lens, right? I guess maybe yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. But I think this is something that needs to be talked about in the US as well, right? Yes. So, yeah. and it's not, you know, I'm actually, um, like I said, I'm not really into, like, I, I don't do that much activism on social media or whatnot, but I try to follow people who are very active. And so I think something, at least in like queer and feminist spaces that people have been talking about a lot is how like the sort of Asian American identity, like this can't be a, a type of coalition building that just centers East Asians. Like it can't be predominantly about like sort of Chinese and, and Japanese like um, identities only. Like it needs to be something that where uh, there's also solidarity with like South Asians, with Southeast Asians, where we sort of take apart like Asian American um, which is useful when we're talking about solidarity and coalition building, but we break it apart to see, uh, you know, how some groups are more privileged and they, they get sort of more airtime in terms of their grievances. And then we think about the people who are actually more marginalized, who actually need more help right now. If there's one thing you wanted to kind of share with our um, Hawaii or U.S.-based um, listeners, um, your perspective on, you know, how to move forward in opening up dialogue or understanding. Don't you hate these questions? Well, what, <laughs> what kind of um, suggestion would you have in moving forward and understanding, you know, 
the dynamics within Asian, Asian, so many things underneath this big umbrella. Yeah, um, I don't know if this is a very teachery sort of thing to say. It's okay. So I apologize ahead of time if it is. Uh -huh. But um, the way that I've, I've sort of been talking to my students about this is, you know, in Hong Kong, thinking about everything that this place has been going through and what these students are all dealing with in their own personal lives, like whether or not I know anything about this, uh, my sort of message was, so, you know, having them learn about all these like transnational problems um, or sort of problems in other places, like being kind of tough and challenging them in this way, I think was correct. Or it has, or it has felt correct for me to, um, to ask them to have empathy for another group of marginalized people. Uh, and to use this in order to reflect back on like uh, possibly on their own privilege in Hong Kong, um, on sort of problems here. But at the same time, I, I guess I would also say like, take it easy, like <laughs> take care of yourself. So I think on social media, like on a place like Twitter, there's this constant um, urgency to sort of be saying the right thing, to be saying things constantly, to be saying things like in bite-sized sort of pieces, like to sort of like latch onto things that are easily digestible. But uh, I think first, like this is a really difficult time, like in a, like we're still in the middle of a pandemic, right? So it's a very difficult time for a lot of people. And so um, I guess I would just say like, take it step by step, like um, try to learn about what's happening like in other places in the world, uh, be open about it. But at the same time, like, um, don't think that you need to somehow, that you are personally responsible for fixing or changing things um, just all at once. Like, so don't, also don't downplay like little things that you might be able to just like do in your everyday life to like reach out to other people or whatever else. Um, I think it all matters. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's, that's my advice. Baby steps. I think, you know, yeah. we're going in the right direction. By having yeah. this dialogue, even today, being able to be privileged enough for us to be discussing this on air, um, to raise voices of, of Asians and Asian Americans and, and, and sharing the differences and, and the, so much that's not within the frame is so important. So I really thank you for opening up um, to, to extending it to, to parts of Asia that we maybe not think about so much here on the island. So really appreciate that. Yeah, so thank you so much for this. This is Dr. Grace Ting from Hong Kong University. So happy to have you.